right, well, good morning, church. Merry Christmas to you. Great to see you this morning. Let me invite you to go ahead and take God's Word and open up to Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to land in just a few minutes. And while you're doing that, let me just say good morning to you and maybe introduce myself to some of you who are wondering, who is that guy? Well, my name is Mike Lauren, and I'm one of the pastors, one of your elders here at Tri-Cities, part of the teaching team. And most Sundays, you'll find me at the Gray Campus, as most Sundays, Derek is at this campus, but uh, the gift of being one church in two locations is we get to kind of swap back and forth sometimes, so honored to be here. Uh, Some faces I recognize, some faces I don't recognize, so looking forward to getting to know some of you all, but glad to be here, and uh, it's a real joy uh, to be part of this church, and it's a real joy to be here with you this morning, and it is a joy to be part of this teaching team, as we call it. Uh, what that means is that we have four guys that rotate a little bit and will take different turns at teaching and preaching God's Word to you. And of course, Derek's part of that team. I'm a part of that team. Pastor Paul, Pastor Daniel is part of that team. And one of the challenges is when I come here, I have to follow a guy like Derek Scherfey that you're used to. And I'll just tell you, I, I don't cry as much as Derek. I, there's some things that are different about me. Uh, but hopefully... Uh, we'll be, y'all laugh because you know it's true, right? I get it. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to hold out God's word this morning and God will use that uh, in our lives. Now, uh, let me just take a little aside before we jump into Romans 8 really quick this morning. Uh, now, Derek, as you guys know, is a really humble guy, right? He's not going to brag about uh, awards that he receives or accolades that he might receive, but I just want to brag on him for an award he received the other night. Uh, Our staff team went on our yearly Christmas party and just had a great time of celebrating, enjoying each other, and as part of that Christmas party, uh, we give out awards uh, for those who have achieved greatness in the past year, and we give out different awards, the Connected Award and crazy things like the Swinging Cactus Award, don't even worry about what that means, it's crazy. Uh, I will say, Melanie, where's Melanie? She, she here? What? She's hiding. There she comes. Melanie received a prestigious award. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Just ask her what award she received. Uh, Derek received a prestigious award, and here's what it was. We give out an award uh, as part of the teaching team. It's a, little bit of, it's a little bit competitive, you know, between the four of us. And one of the things we compete about is who preaches the longest, right? Who goes the longest? So we give an award called the Long-Winded Award. And you need to know that iTunes does not lie, right? So we went back, did a little research research over the past year, 2015, and hands down, your campus pastor, Derek Scherfey, wins the vaunted Long-Winded Award. Congratulations, Derek. And he'll tell you that's because God's so much at work in his heart. He has so much to share with you. Just can't get it all in in 40 or 50 or 60 minutes every Sunday. So anyway, all right. (laughs) Love you, man. All right, uh, Romans chapter 8. We're going to walk through a little bit and focus a couple verses here in Romans chapter 8. And really for me to set up what we're getting ready to read and what I'm not going to be able to cover for sake of time, uh, let me set it up this way. A few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, Jennifer, we've been married 20 years. We, we love to go to the movies together. So we went to see one of the newest movies that was out. It's called Everest. All right, anybody seen Everest? Wow, it was a blockbuster. What do you call it? <laughs> it was a good movie. Anyway, 
Are you telling me nobody in this room has seen the movie Everest about the mountain climbing? That is insane. Anyway, all right, there's a movie out called Everest. All right, and it's about this team of climbers that dedicate months and months and months to preparation and then finally the journey to go from where they are there in Nepal and climb up the 29,000-foot summit to Mount Everest. You all know what Mount Everest is, right? The highest mountain on earth. You all do know that? Okay, awesome. That's what the whole movie's about. And the movie just walks through this journey that these, these people go on and the sacrifice they're willing to make to get to the top of the earth. It's essentially the highest point on planet earth. And some of them finally get there and the movie captures the moments of when they, after all the work and all the time, they get to the top. Now, 29,000 feet, they're wearing oxygen masks. You, you can't live there for very long. They can only take just a few minutes. But when they get there, they get to the peak and they just take in all the, the earth from a perspective they've never seen it before. There's nothing above them. They're looking down on all the earth, you know, China and Nepal and Tibet. And it's really a neat moment that they've reached the summit, if you will. Now, what in the world does that have to do with Romans 8? Well, let me just tell you a personal conviction of mine. Um, we've been studying through the story this year and walking through God's Word as a church. And when we this morning come to a place like Romans chapter 8, it is like standing on the summit and looking back to the grace of God in our lives. I can't overstate that. I mean, all of the Bible is inspired, but there are sections of the Bible you know that's like standing on the summit, and you just breathe in the truths of what is true about you as a follower of Christ, and what is true about you because of the grace of God. So you get to a chapter like Romans 8, and we're not even going to have time to do all or even half of the chapter. We're only going to focus on a couple verses. But if I could summarize the truths and the value and what's there in Romans 8, it would be something like this. As a follower of Christ, for those who have received Christ by faith, being in Christ, the Bible says you now have a new nature within you. The very Spirit of Jesus Himself is alive and at work in you. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anybody wants to level a charge of condemnation against the children of God, you can say, No way, no how, I am in Christ. Romans 8.12.13 says, You, listen to this, have been adopted as a son or a daughter. Now listen. And not just adopted, it says you have received a spirit of adoption. Not talking about the Holy Spirit, but the nature of your adoption. It's not just a legal transaction. It's God says, okay, I'll sign the papers. He is all in and has fully brought you into His family as if you were His own. As if you were Jesus the Son. Not your deity, not that you're God, but you have all the rights and the privileges of the Son of God. You're in the family of God. And then Romans, uh, keep on going, it talks about the work of the Spirit of God, that all things in your life work together. God orchestrates everything in your life for His glory and for your good. And then you get to that massive section at the end of Romans 8 where it says, all of that, and guess what? You can never be separated from the love of God, ever. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, or anything to come, nor any created thing will be ever able to separate you 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And on and on and on just oozes of the grace of God. And you come away from that chapter and you realize, watch this. I live my life in the grace of God based on what God has already done for me in Christ. And not the legalistic mindset of, okay, if I can earn enough, do enough, achieve enough, God will be happy with me. That is not the teaching of the Bible and especially not the teaching of Romans 8. It is by grace and grace alone and He has set His affection on you. He has bought you. He has made it possible by the crucifixion and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And there is immense treasure and blessing and riches that are yours in Christ. And often, listen, we've never gone to the summit to take it all in. We kind of live down here on earth and we're faced with the challenges of everyday life and we forget of all that is ours and yours in Christ by grace. And in Romans chapter 8, just lays it out for you. Now right here in the middle of Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, is the answer to a question that everybody in this room has asked or may be asking today. And the question goes something like this. All right, we're all going to be really honest with each other. I'm going to be really honest and say, it is really hot up here. That's a plea for help. Let's turn it awesome. Woo, thanks. Okay. Jeremy's already got it. Fantastic. The question in Romans 8 that is answered is this, and you've all asked it in one way or another. Ready? What is God's ultimate will for my life? Now, I know Derek touched on this last week. This is kind of going to be a, a building upon that. What is God's ultimate will for my life? And let's even take it another step and make it even more practical for you this morning. You say, I may not be asking that particular question. Here's the question a lot of you may be asking. God, what in the world are you doing in my life? What are you doing? Now that may come from a perspective of you're overwhelmed by the immense what appears to be blessings that God's bringing in your life. Or you may be on the other spectrum this morning and you're going, God, nothing seems to be right. Lord, nothing seems to be happening according to my plan or your plan. It looks like nothing's happening. Lord, what are you doing in my life? Anybody asked that recently? We can take our church faces off and be realized, I know. God, what are you doing? Do all these things fit together? Do all these pieces work out? Is, is this thing going somewhere? Or am I just the victim of a series of events and I go to church and I had to do the, try to do the Christian thing? Or God, are you doing something in my life for your glory and my good? Romans 8, 28 and 29. I'm going to read these verses. If you want to com- commit some verses to memory, you won't do better than these. Apostle Paul writes and he says, and we know. And by the way, that's what faith is. Faith is knowing what God has said. And we know that God causes all things. Uh, What things? All things. To work together for good. Now watch this, it does not say God causes all things to be 
uh, from my perspective, good. There's some things in your life right now that you would look at and go, I don't know if that's good or not, God. I don't understand that. Here's the promise of God. He's going to use it for good. We know. To those who love God, followers of Christ, those who are in Christ, they all go together. To those who are called by God, the effectual call of God, when God awakened your heart, God drew you to Himself. Those who are called, now watch this, according to His purpose. Stop right there. Most of you in this room have heard that verse before. A lot of you memorized that verse before, but often we fail to go on to verse 29. Okay, I'm called, all things work together for good. Those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. And we stop right there. All right, verse 29. Okay, God, what's the purpose? What is that thing you have been doing, are doing, and are working toward in my life and eternity for my good and your glory? What is it? Verse 29 says this, for, the word for means here's the basis, here's the foundation of what I just said in 28. Here's the reason for it. Those whom he foreknew, and that's a beautiful verse describing that before you ever came to know Christ, he knew you and set his affection and love on you. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He determined something to be true about you. He determined that something was going to come about in your life. God, what is it? What is that thing you have foreknown, you have predetermined that's going to come about in my life, that you're working, you're organizing all events to bring this about? What is it? And tell us. Those he foreknew, he also predestined, watch this, to become... Progressively, to become conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. So that, so that, why are you doing that, God? So that He, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now stop right there. What in the world does all that mean? What does all that mean? That means God has a particular plan, a particular purpose in each of the lives of His children. He determined it before you were ever born. He's going to carry it about. And listen, He's causing all things to work toward this end. And here it is. God the Father is making us, His children, to be like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is transforming. He is conforming. He is molding. You read it last week in 2 Corinthians. As we behold, we are being transformed from one image of glory to the other. That means we are becoming less and less and less of me, my brokenness, and more and more practically, outwardly, to conform to the person and the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does all that look like? Now let me back up and just say, get this in your mind that everything God is doing is to mold us and conform us into this image. The word image is the the original word. I'll impress you with a Greek word here. Icon is the Greek word. We get that. We've stolen an English word. The word icon means to resemble, a likeness, a representation of. God's ultimate purpose, His will for you is that we are progressively and most definitely becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Why, God? Why are you doing that? 
Well, we get to be the benefactors of it because we get all the blessings of it. The ultimate reason he's doing is right there in verse 29. Why? So that Jesus would be the firstborn. The word firstborn means the place of honor, the place of highest rank, so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren, among many who are made like him. Jesus would have the place of highest rank among those who have been redeemed by him and for all eternity would reflect his image. Time out. Stop right there. So God, here's what you're saying if I'm getting all this. What we've been reading from Genesis all the way through the Bible that's going to culminate in the book of Revelation in a few weeks, the story of history is, God, you have brought us out of our sin, out of our brokenness. You've determined there's going to be a plan, and to glorify your Son, you're going to make a people like your Son who forever and ever and ever are going to bring glory and honor to His name. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. And what that means is the ultimate plan and purpose of God, ready, is not about me. <laughs> Y'all hear that? Oh, come on, Pastor Mike. I read books all the time. It tells me that God, okay, God loves you. He set his affection on you. But God's ultimate purpose in history is about his son, Jesus Christ. And we get to be the benefactors of it. So for all eternity, that's God's purpose. That's what God is doing in your life right now, child of God. You say, I don't know how this fits in. I don't know how this working works. I don't know why this is happening. Or I don't know why this is not happening. If you are a child of God, you can lay your head on your pillow tonight and know that your Father in heaven is doing and will most certainly conform you to the image of His Son. And watch this. He's using everything to do it. Everything. All things work together. For our good and his purpose. Now, a couple questions about that, all right? God, if, if that's true, then what does that practically look like? Because I know we can get into the church talk and the religious talk. We say, okay, conformity to Christ. And, we, and we may, maybe you picture a rabbi walking around with a big headdress. You know, I don't know what you picture or what comes to your mind when you say God is conforming us to the image of His Son. Let me give you a couple biblical pictures of what that looks like. Because let me assure you, it's what you want in your life. Galatians chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. It says this. It says, here's what the, the Spirit is doing. We'll just read it. it. says, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, the Spirit of God is at work in you. The Spirit of Jesus is at work in you. What's He doing? He's bearing the fruit. What kind of fruit? Certain character traits? Yes, certain character traits, but watch this. When you read Galatians chapter 5, we're getting ready to read, what you see is a multifaceted picture of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who He was in His fullness. Without limitation. Listen to what it says. The fruit of the Spirit, what God's doing in you, is love. Now listen. Not the worldly earthly, cheap, self-centered, it's really about me, but I'm going to throw you a token of love. I'm going to use all the right words, but I'm really in it for me. It is the agape love of God that is completely, completely working for the good of another. Involving sacrifice, involving laying down his life, the kind of love that can only be used to describe God, and he's working that type of character in you, where you realize it is not all about me, it is not just for me, I'm going to lay down my life for the good of others. Listen, when you see that kind of love in somebody, that's the kind of love you want to be around. And let me say something to you, ladies. If you're here and you are eligible and searching for a man don't raise your hand anything like that let me just assure you of something ready watch 
That's the kind of man you better be looking for. Is the kind of man who is growing progressively by the work of the Spirit of God in him. That the center of his world is not him. The center of his world is Christ. And therefore the love that that man or woman goes both ways, guys. Goes both ways. Is able to demonstrate to you is not an improvement of their best love. But it is Christ's love in them. The very love of the Lord Jesus Christ is born in your life. That's what it means to be conformed to his image. You now have the capacity to demonstrate the very love of Jesus. Joy. A lot of words you could use for joy. Joy is not temporary seeking, just this temporary happiness, but it is an exuberance for life. It is a fullness of life that's the kind of person you want to be around. It's not your joy based on what you do or what you can bring. It is the joy of the character of Jesus in you. It is Jesus' joy. He said to his disciples, all these things I've said to you, all these things I've given you, that your joy may be full. Not your own joy, but my joy may be in you. Listen, that's the kind of person you want to be with. That's the kind of person you want to be around. He goes on and says, peace, this inner sense of rightness, regardless of circumstances. Patience. <laughs> patience means the ability to endure when things are not going your way and to hold in there no matter what. Let me say again, if you're eligible and you're looking for a husband or you're looking for a wife, you want to marry somebody with a lot of patience because no matter how good you think you are, they're marrying broken, damaged people, right? You want to marry somebody, you want to know somebody with great patience, not their own patience. Let me just throw this in there as a caveat because this is so tremendously important. Christianity and following Jesus is not a self-improvement plan. Did you all hear that? It is not, okay, I'm going to try to be as loving as I can be. I'm going to try to be as joyous as I can be. And I'm going to work this up within me. You have a new power and a new capacity by the Spirit of Jesus within you. And what comes out of you is not your best. It is the life of Christ. And God, watch this, is faithfully orchestrating, working, putting things together that that will most assuredly and progressively take place in your life. And one day, it goes on, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Nothing against this in Scripture. So the point is, that's what God's doing in your life. He's building these not just unnamed character traits, but the very character of Christ in you. Now, will He finish that work? Say, man... To be honest with you, Mike, sometimes I look in the mirror and sometimes I kind of evaluate my life. I am so far from that. Me too. First hey? John says that when Jesus appears and he comes, he, he will in an instant finish the work and all of us will be made like him because we will see him as he is. And the flesh and the challenges and all that we wrestle with and all that we fight with in our humanness will be gone and we will be like the sun forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, what a Savior. But in the meantime, <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done. I'm under construction. You're under construction. So here's the next question we're going to wrestle with from Romans 8. Okay, God, if that's what you promise you are doing in me, if that's what everything is working together in me, what are those things in my life that you are using sovereignly, graciously, lovingly to make me more and more and more like your son. I'm going to give you four things really quick, okay? And because I went to seminary and I'm trained, they're all going to start with the same letter. Isn't that awesome? How about that? All right, great. 
Number one, what does God use in our life to make us more and more like Jesus? Number one is this, pain. Pain. Now that's not popular. There's a lot of places you won't hear that, but the Bible is rich to describe that God will use even, listen, pain, suffering, Whatever word you want to use there, in your life. Now, where do you get that from? Romans chapter 5. Back up a few chapters. I'll read it to you. Paul says this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. What a great statement. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What I just talked about. One day, there's going to be ultimate glory. I'm going to be made like Jesus forever and ever. Until then. You and I live in a broken, fallen, painful world. What's this? Full of suffering. Right? Right. God, are you telling me you use all of that to make me like Jesus? That's exactly what he says. Verse 3. Listen. Paul, verse 3 and 4 says, Not only that, not only the rich promises of grace and ultimate glory that are in Christ for those who follow him. Listen. He says, not only that, we rejoice. Rejoice in what? Our sufferings. <laughs> now, let's, let's take off our spiritual hat for a minute. Wait, you're reading that and you go, Time out, Paul. I'm not rejoicing a lot. You're telling me I'm rejoicing in my sufferings? Why? Knowing. There's that word again. Knowing. That suffering produces endurance. The ability to hang in there. The idea of patience. The idea that builds depth of character in your life. That, endure, that suffering, it produces endurance. The word suffering means the word cru- is the idea of to crush or to press or to, to squeeze from something. It's the idea of affliction. Does anybody have a situation in your life right now you feel like you are just squeezed and pressed and you don't know if you're going to make it? If you're not in a situation like that, watch this. You're coming out of one or you're heading into one. That's life. It's life. And you say, I want to follow a God that's honest about the life I live and doesn't just talk about these heavenly realities. The Bible speaks to where you live day in and day out. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. These pressures, these tribulations, these afflictions, those that come upon me because I'm a follower of Christ... It might look like persecution. Those things that come upon me because I'm a human being in this life and I live in a broken world. He says these things produce endurance and endurance. Listen to this. I love this. Verse 4. Endurance produces character. Character. What character? Watch. Remember what we said before. As a believer, Christ in you, the hope of glory through His Spirit. Suffering produces character. I love the word character here. The word character here is a different word that's often used in Scripture. It's the word dokime. You say, man, there's another Greek word. He is so impressive. That's not the point. Dokime. We get the word, watch this, document from it. If I document something, it means I give evidence to the reality of something. Okay, I... Okay, what does that mean? That means that God uses suffering 
and pressure and pain in our lives. Watch this. To compress me, less of me, so that more and more of the character of Christ becomes evident that the world says, you know what, Christ really is in that guy. And through suffering, I see the very character of Christ coming out of him. See that? And Paul says, listen, if it takes loss and it takes pain and it takes pressure and it takes anxiety and it takes things not working out like I wanted and it takes relationships being broken and things just not going the way I thought they would go. But I know, based on Romans 8, remember that, I know you're using all things for my good according to your purpose, then I can rejoice even in my pain. I can rejoice even in that loss because I know God has foreknown and predestined that those who love him, those who know him, those he has called to himself will be made like Christ. And that broken relationship, that physical illness, that loss of a job or that criticism or persecution you receive at the work at at your work because you're a believer and nobody likes it. God uses because he's faithfully committed to making you like his son. Hallelujah, what a saying. Right? He uses all things. Therefore, we can rejoice that as we're pressed, it means less of me and more of the character of Christ coming out in our lives. Paul says, I rejoice. And here's what that means for you and me. Listen. That means a lot. It means this. There, are no, there is no pointless pain in the life of a believer. There is no pointless suffering in the life of a believer. Listen, there is not even any pointless confusion. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I'm perplexed. Ever been perplexed? I don't know what's going on. I don't even know. God, what are you doing? He says, I'm perplexed, but not forsaken, because I know you're using everything in my life for your glory and my good, making me like Jesus. See? Some of our teaching team and elders, they write a, a letter every week and send it out on social media. And If you don't follow that, I hope you do. It's some, just some good stuff to help you during the week. And Pastor Paul Mermillion wrote the letter this past week. He had a quote by Spurgeon at the end of it. And I knew I was preaching this message. And I had to latch on to this quote by Spurgeon. It's this, Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of all times, who knew pain immensely in his life, said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that slams me against the rock of ages. In other words, God, I've learned to rejoice in whoever or whatever you use in my life to make me more like your son. Rejoice. God uses pain. Secondly, God uses people in our lives. Oh, man. Isn't that true? In other words, <laughs> now let's just have a little agreement. We're not going to point at each other or call each other out by name, okay? But God uses people in your life and God uses you in the lives of others to progressively and most definitely conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. How do you know that? Let me read you a couple of verses. Hebrews 10, you have to look it up. I'll read it to you. It says, and let us consider how to stir up. 
Stir up means how to motivate, sharpen, encourage, give energy. To, how, to, how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Not neglecting our meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the reality of Scripture. One of the reasons that we as a church hold out community, one of the reasons we believe for you to be in a place of health, it's not just coming and attending a weekly service. It's not just going through a few little things in your Christian life. You need to be in community with others where God uses that person and all of their faults and all of their awkwardness and all of their fault, all of their imperfections just like you. What's this? God uses that person in your life to make you more and more like Jesus, to stir you up. God uses people. God uses people in your life to encourage. Sometimes you need a word. Sometimes you need something. You're, on the, you're low and need someone to raise you up, to warn. Because you're headed down a path and you're thinking, you, you, you get deceived. We all get deceived in our own thinking. We need somebody to say, what, were you, what are you doing? You keep down this path, you know what's going to happen. God's using that to make us more and more like His Son, to admonish. Admonish means to call out sin in our lives. I need people to be honest with me enough to call out sin because they love me. Because they love me. I need somebody, here's an illustration, who loves me enough that when I'm getting ready to walk into a room and stand in front of people and talk and says, Hey, Mike, you got something hanging on the side of your mouth. You might want to wipe that off. Some people walk by and go, Oh, I couldn't say that. If you love me, tell me I got something hanging on the side of my mouth. That's true. In the family of God, somebody say, you know what? You're headed down a path that's not going to be good for you, brother. This decision you're making, it looks good to you. But let me tell you what's going to happen a year, five years, ten years from that. Listen, I have teenage sons. I understand that the frontal lobe is not fully developed. And they make decisions without thinking what this decision is going to bring about a year from now five years from now and i want to say to them what are you thinking you may relate to that listen i live there too i'm a human being and sometimes i make decisions and i need somebody to look at me in the face hey, what are you thinking god uses people to conform us in the likeness of christ now here's a reality sometimes these people sometimes these these people come as a sweet fragrance in your life, right? Oh, they're, they're just so delightful to be around. Oh, I just love being with them. I want to hang out with them. Let's go to lunch and have coffee. What? Sometimes God sends sweet people. Sometimes God sends sandpaper people. This is where we don't need to point any fingers, all right? Yeah. You might be married to that sandpaper person. You might work in the cubicle with that sandpaper person. You might be in life group with that sandpaper person. <laughs> that sandpaper person might be here at the Johnson City campus, and you're thinking, why are they in my life? Let me, let me shift your perspective a little bit, right? <laughs> if God's word is true, which, oh, by the way, I believe it is, God uses everything, even sandpaper people in your life, to smooth off those rough edges, to make you more and more and more and more like his son. Aren't you glad? God uses people. God uses pain. I'll give you two more, and these will go really a little bit quicker because I do not want to win the long-winded award. Just kidding. Number three, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. See, there's some things that you need to know that are absolutely true from Romans chapter 8. Here they go. I'm going to read some of these to you. You can follow along if you like. 
Romans 8, 11. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I want you to hear these things. Paul writes and he says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And that's one of those truths that we become so familiar with. You have a new nature. The Spirit of God is in you. He's at work in you. The Spirit of God is like this, this blowing wind, so to speak. That's just a metaphor. The Spirit of God is a, is a person, the third person of the Trinity. But He works like this wind. He's constantly at work in you. He's committed to making you like Christ. And He does everything to bring that about. This lives in you. Just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The Spirit of God is alive in you and constantly working in you. Never ceases to be at work. Verse 15. So you have not received a Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now you call out to Him, Abba, Father. A beautiful verse that you could spend an entire message on that verse. He has not merely adopted you. He's given you a spirit of adoption. He is fully committed to this, brought you into His family. And you are growing. Watch this. You are growing to understand what it means to be a part of God's family. That's what it means. You're growing to understand Abba, Father, of His a love for you that will never change. Your position in Christ that can never be shaken. And we grow to understand the depths and the meaning of that. The Spirit of God is making you aware of that. His Spirit, the Bible says, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The Spirit of God is in you. Like a witness in a court case and saying, oh, but remember, Remember what God's doing in your life. Remember the grace of God. He takes the word of God and opens our eyes to see the depth so we'll grasp the glory that it is to be a child of God. Most believers, often me included, listen, merely graze the surface of what it means to be a child of God. And I've never plumbed the depths of the identity and the security and the purpose and the value and the blessings that are yours in grace. The Spirit of God is constantly working in your life to make you aware of what it means to truly be a son or a daughter of God. Verse 26, he says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not even know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He searches the hearts. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. That's the children of God. That's all believers according, listen to this, he intercedes, he's constantly speaking to the Father on our behalf according to the will of God. What was the will of God? We talked about it earlier, that you be made like Jesus Christ. Now I'm going somewhere with this, so hang on to all this. Hang on to it. So, here's what I know about my life and your life, child of God. Think of it again, like this, this wind of the Spirit's activity within you is constantly at work. He is constantly at work like the ceaseless wind of this flow of a river. Why? Conforming you and making you more and more and more like the character of Jesus. He's committed to that. He's using all things for that. He's bearing the fruit of Jesus' character in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things we talked about earlier. So, hang with me. If that's true, then my life is not a list of rules 
or things that I try to do. Now watch this, listen. So that I can say, okay, if I do this, I'll make myself better. If I do this, I'll get better. If I do this, God will love me more. No, it's not this. Okay, I'm going to try harder and do more. Watch this. This is revolutionary for me in my Christian life. No, my Christian life or my life is characterized by what Paul said in Galatians 5.25. He says this, if we live by the Spirit, which we do, we just read it, He's in us, gives life. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Hold on. He said, that doesn't sound very, what does that mean? What that means, ready? What that means is you and I are constantly by the leading of the Spirit and the guiding of the Spirit. Say, okay, Spirit of God, if you're doing that, if you're working in my life, I'm asking, how can I align my life to be in step with your activity that you are constantly conforming me to the image of Christ? What is it in my life that I need to put around me, that I need to put in me, that I need to, like a sailor, I say, I'm not a sailor, um, but I understand the concept that there's a wind blowing, and that wind is going to take me in a particular place, and the better I can hoist the sail on my boat, the catch what that, that wind is doing. The Spirit of God is a person, the third person of the Trinity living within you. He is constantly at work in your life. Here's the question for you and me. What am I doing in my life to align my life in such a way, such a way to align myself with the Spirit's activity in me? What am I doing? Now, let me me explain it a little bit more. Here's your fourth word. We talked about God uses pain. We talked about God uses people. We talked about God uses the presence of the Spirit. He's constantly at work in you. Fourth word is this. Ready? Practices. (laughs) Practices that mean means what are those habits what are those disciplines what are those things in my life i'm doing not to achieve a better standing before god not to earn something before god but like a sailor hoisting his sails to say god i know you're working my life i know this flood of grace is coming into my life by the spirit what is it that i can align myself to not hinder your activity or not grieve what you're doing in my life but to capture the activity of the Spirit of God in my life. I'm going to give you a few of them here, okay? And we'll be done. What are those things, Lord? I can align myself around the activity of the Spirit to be in step with what you are most definitely doing in my life. I'm going to give you a few. Number one is this, Scripture intake. Just write that down, Scripture intake. In other words, the Spirit of God is not going to work in some mystical illusion out there somewhere that you're going, well, it might be the Spirit, that might not be the Spirit. I don't know what He's leading, prompting, guiding me. Because Romans 8 says, He who is led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. The Spirit of God in you primarily leads, guides, prompts, directs, empowers, energizes you through what has been written in the living Word of God. So for me, it is a pursuit of my life to live out Colossians 3 that says this. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. 
How are you positioning your life to hoist the sails of your life to be filled with the truth of God that the Spirit of God then takes, takes and quickens and opens your eyes to who you are, the calling in your life, the power you have, your identity in Christ, so you have security and meaning and stability and all those things that are given by grace. The Spirit is doing that. How are we positioning ourselves through these practices of Scripture intake? Why do we gather to hear the Word of God taught? Because we believe it's in the Word of God that the Spirit of God takes that and conforms us into the person of Christ to make Christ known and for your good. Why do we open our Bibles? Why would we assign a a reading plan? It's crazy to read from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Why would we say it is vital if you are going to walk with God that you learn on a regular basis on your own, whether Derek's preaching to you or not, that you take this book, this living book, and you open it up and you let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And the Spirit of God takes that and grows you and matures you and gives you stability and strength and energy and vitality and life. Practices. Listen, I can just tell you the single most impacting event in my life apart from knowing Christ Jesus was when God gave me a hunger for the Word of God to get the Word of God in my life. And now the Spirit of God takes that on a regular basis, uses that Word, memorize the Word, feast on the Word, get into the Word of God and hoist your sails to align yourself with the activity of God in your life. I'm just going to give you a few more. These are very quick. I'm not going to talk about these as long. Scripture intake, everything flows out of that. Solitude. Solitude can be simply a practice where you separate from the constant activity of the day, the rush of the day, and you pull apart to fill your mind with the truth of God's Word. It facilitates ministry in life because it brings clarity Jesus, the Bible says, he often slipped away into the wilderness and was praying. He sought solitude. Prayer is simply talking with God from the Word of God, and it's a constant conversation with God. It brings clarity. It brings communion. It brings stability. It is a practice that we pursue to align ourselves with what the Spirit of God is doing in you and doing in me. Service, engaging our lives in selflessness and giving to others, community and fellowship. We talk about that all the time. You've got to have brothers and sisters around you. The, the Spirit of God uses that in our lives. Worship, celebration, on and on. These disciplines of our Christian life, call them habits, call it practices. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters, God's doing it. He's going to do it. I want to hoist my sail. To align myself with what the Spirit of God is doing in my life. For we know that God causes all things to work together for your good and my good. According to those who love Him. According to His promise. Because He's determined (laughs) before you were ever born, child of God, that He's going to make you more and more and more and more like His Son. That's what He's doing. And He will finish the good work that He's begun. Amen. Would you bow your head with me for just a minute? Our team's going to come on up and begin to play. We're going to have what we call a response time. It is for you. As you've heard God's word, you've heard from the spirit of God through his word to now respond in faith. And as our team comes and just begins to play, I want you to just right there in your seat, if your eyes closed for just a minute, just you and the Lord. 
If all these things are true, this changes the way I look at life. This changes the way I look at the situations in my life right now. Not, Lord, get me out of this. Lord, not, I've got to come to an end. Lord, okay, God, I trust you. Use this. How are you using this to make me more and more like your son? This changes the way I look at people. God, Lord, change the way I look at old so-and-so or change the way I understand my role in the lives of people to be conformed to the image of Christ. And listen, this changes one last thing. Listen, ministry, service, all that we do, it means that priority is not what, not what you do, but what God is doing in you and making you more and more and more like Jesus. He will do through you, secondary to what He's doing in you. And He promises to make you more and more and more more like Jesus. Question for you this morning. Are you here today? Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and life giver and King? And if you do, are you growing? Are you in step with what the Spirit is doing? Are you going against the flow of the Spirit? Are you trying to live the Christian life by yourself? Are you putting the Word of God around you in time with God, and time with God's people? I trust that the Spirit will guide and you will respond to Him this morning with whatever step of obedience He lays before you let me pray for you and our team will lead us god thank you for this morning thank you for the promise of your word thank you for the truth of scripture thank you that no matter what you are conforming your people to your likeness for your glory and our good we love you and we trust you in jesus name we pray amen would you stand church as our team leads us